Welcome to the 14th episode of Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight, we enter Room 106, the subterranean vault into which all new planning information is fed, and extract the key things you need to know. The podcast is called Room 106 after Room 101, the place in George Orwell's novel 1984 that contains a prisoner's deepest fears. We're suggesting that for ourselves and some of our audience, there can be a sense of foreboding about digesting the latest developments in the sector. It's called Room 106 instead of Room 101, in honour of the tortuous Section 106 negotiations that can take place when councils are trying to agree how much developers should pay for infrastructure. We had a nervous few hours last week when we thought that the newly published Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill might be about to abolish Section 106 agreements entirely. We'd have had to design a new logo and everything. But thankfully Section 106 agreements seem to have survived, albeit in truncated form. So today, in a change to our normal format, we're going to be focusing entirely on summarising the changes proposed in the Bill. With an even more colossal stack of paperwork than usual to sift through, we're going to go in mob-handed. We're joined by planning senior reporter Chris Caulfield. Are you braced for the bill, Chris? Certainly am. Donning the protective equipment alongside Chris, we have planning reporter Samantha Eckford. Ready to go, Sam? We'll be right there. Finally, summoning up the strength to once again do battle with the contents of Room 106, we have regular planning correspondent David Blackman. But David's going to join us in the room, I think. I think he's already in there grappling with it. So, coming up, The Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill, summarised in 30 minutes. We'll explore how the bill would change the content, preparation and impact of local plans. We'll discover how it would change the system of collecting contributions from developers towards the cost of the infrastructure needed to address the impact of their schemes. And we'll hear what the bill and its accompanying documents have said about raising planning application fees, along with many other changes. By the end of the show, you should know enough to walk past your boss in the corridor without having to avoid eye contact. So, time to face the music. Ready to go in? Guess so. Guess so. I guess so. So, here we are again in room 106, the repository in which all new planning information collects. And it really does look bunged up with the arrival of the, uh, the levelling up and regeneration bill. But John, the bill wasn't the only document published, was it? Can you give us a very quick guide as to uh, what exactly was published last week? Yes. So last Wednesday and Thursday, there were three other key documents published alongside the bill. The bill itself was published on Wednesday. And at the same time, a helpful explanatory note was published alongside it on the same day the government also published a policy paper that gave further explanation of the bill's measures and details on the next steps, which I'll talk about in more detail later on. The following day, on Thursday, the government published its response to a wide-ranging report last summer by the Leveling Up Housing and Communities Select Committee on the future of the planning system in England. And that reiterated many of the government's intentions outlined in the bill. Okay, well, thank you very much, John. That gives us a, a good overall picture of the documents published by the government last week. So now we're going to start talking about the different aspects of the bill. We've got different members of the team have been looking at different elements. And uh, I'm going to start by talking to our reporter, Samantha Eckford, about 
all the stuff in the bill and its accompanying documents that focus on changes to local plans, and there's a lot of it. So, Sam, just to start off with, how would the changes proposed in the in the bill change local plan content? Yeah, so um, the main change to local plan content proposed by the bill is that the focus of local plans is going to be shifted towards what the bill's explanatory notes describe as locally specific matters. The bill proposes that a new suite of national development management policies will take over the provision of what the bill describes as general policies on issues that apply in most areas, with the example of general heritage protection as one of these general issues. The government has said that it will consult on what will be included in these policies, although it's also said that local plans will not be able to duplicate these policies in their own plans with the content limited just to local issues. Okay, that's really interesting. And this is the thing that has been uh, interpreted by quite a few um, commentators as being a sort of a grab of power at national level. Exactly, yeah. Okay, and in terms of the importance of local plans, how would the bill affect their sort of importance within the planning system? So this is a bit more tricky. On one hand, the bill states that local plans will be given more weight in the decision-making process, with strong reasons now required for authorities to go against the plan. However, in the event of a conflict between the local plan and the new suite of centrally set national development management policies, the national policies would have primacy. This means that while the local plan's importance to the decision-making process would increase, it would be secondary to national policy. Again, this is subject to consultation, so the extent of this conflict is unclear. Okay, uh, it, that, but that's interesting. That there's a the provision seems to be that where there is a conflict, these new national development management policies would uh, would have uh, more weight than the local plan. And what about the actual preparation process itself? How, how would that look different under what these proposals are, are suggesting? So there's a lot to unpack here. Together, the bill and the companion policy paper released alongside it propose a range of alterations to the preparation process. Firstly, and perhaps most significantly, the policy paper outlines the government's intention to introduce clear timescales for plan production, with an expectation that plans would take no more than 30 months to produce. This is one of the proposals included in the 2020 white paper that's been carried forward. The hope is that the reduced scope of local plans, together with the introduction of a series of gateway checks, will help authorities to produce plans faster. The policy paper also outlines the government's plans to scrap the five-year housing land supply requirement but only where councils have adopted a local plan within the past five years. According to the paper, this is an attempt to incentivise plan production and prevent newly produced plans from being undermined by speculative applications. Also among the proposed changes is the removal of the duty to cooperate. It would be replaced by what the policy paper calls a more flexible alignment test set out in national policy. The policy paper also proposes the introduction of new local plan commissioners who would, at the direction of the Secretary of State, be deployed to support or ultimately take over plan making if local planning authorities fail to meet their statutory duties. So uh, a couple of interesting things there. This this alignment duty, I think everybody's wondering what that is, aren't they? And, and how that would, uh, would that really be an improvement on the duty to cooperate, which, um, which is widely seen to have been um, pretty ineffective? It's one of the things that's unclear at the moment and will be subject to consultation, it looks like. Right. OK, OK. Well, maybe a bit more will come out on that in the uh, in the near future. And yes, very interesting about these local plan commissioners. I mean, sound quite powerful figures. But again, the government has had a lot of powers to direct local plan making and, um, and, and intervene in local plans. 
Um, it's just chosen not to use them in the past. So it'll be interesting if they're more likely to use these new powers that they're planning to give themselves. And there's also, in the, in the bill, there's also some new types of plan that the bill says it might introduce. Yeah, so the bill has also proposed the introduction of a couple of voluntary plans and strategies that are to assist authorities' plan making. The first of these, supplementary plans, will allow authorities to quickly prepare policies for specific sites or to set out design standards. They will replace the supplementary planning documents that councils are able to produce currently, with the new version afforded more weight than its predecessor. The bill also proposes a new voluntary spatial development strategy. This would allow groups of authorities to produce a joint strategic plan for issues that cut across the different areas in much the same way as some mayoral combined authorities already can do. And what about new plan-making bodies that the bill talks about introducing? So the bill mentions a new type of locally-led urban development corporation. This would have the objective of regenerating its area and it would be accountable to local authorities rather than the Secretary of State. Okay. And as I understand it, it would have plan-making powers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now, there's been a lot of talk about what the bill has to say about design codes. Can you explain uh, uh, the, the sort of the headlines uh, as far as that's concerned? So the bill proposes that going forwards, all local planning authorities would have to have a design code in place covering their entire area. The document states that the area-wide codes would act as a framework for which subsequent detailed design codes can come forward. These would be either prepared for specific sites or areas and led by the local planning authority, neighbourhood planning groups or by developers. Okay, so that's a major new duty now on, 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 on councils, the idea that every single one should have an area-wide design code. If that goes through, that's going to be a major change to the system, isn't it? Yeah. And what about plan making below local plan level? What does the document have to say about that? So there's a new neighbourhood planning tool introduced by the bill called a neighbourhood priority statement. This would provide communities with a simpler and more accessible way to set out their key priorities and their preferences for their own local areas. Local authorities would be required to take these into account where relevant when preparing their local plans. And the idea is that this would enable communities to better engage in the local plan making process. Okay, so it sounds like a sort of a sort of less onerous way of drawing up something that isn't quite a neighbourhood plan, but allows you to articulate the the neighbourhood's feelings about um, about what they want out of the local plan process, I guess. Exactly. Okay, and then there's been a lot of coverage about the proposal for street votes. Yes, there has. So this idea would allow residents to bring forward proposals to extend or to redevelop their properties in line with their own design preferences. These preferences and proposals would then be put to a referendum of residents on their street to determine if they should be given planning permission. So it would see a major shift in terms of how permissions are decided. Really interesting. You can't help feeling that the producers of Neighbours at War are going to be immediately be taking a huge interest in this. The, the, um, the potential for sort of conflict if some people in the street see benefits in significant development and other people in the street are maybe beyond the stage where they're interested in maximising the value of their property and, and so on and so forth. It does sound like there's potential for significant conflict, but we, we will see. It's certainly a controversial idea. Yes, uh, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, the, thank you very much for that, Sam. It's obviously a, a huge amount of ground to cover. Any particular implications of any of this that you've seen interesting comment on or anything that in particular you, you'd highlight as, as worthy of note? Commentators have expressed support for the simplification of the local plan process. 
Despite this, they've also expressed concerns that the devolution promised by the government has failed to materialise with the new centrally set national policies taking precedence over local plans. There's also some concern over the ambiguity of the new requirement for the strong reasons that will now be required for authorities to go against the local plan when making decisions. It's also notable that the bill does not include any detail on housing need assessments, despite there being an expectation of reform. Ah, okay. you're referring to the um, standard assessment method for assessing housing need, um, which has become a bit of a sort of bogeyman for some people and referred to as the mutant algorithm. And there was an expectation that this would be changed as part of the bill, but there's no explanation as yet as to how that will be changed. It's not been included so far, no. Okay. Well, maybe it'll come forward with some of the, um, the, uh, the the documents that will be needed to implement this. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Sam. A, a whistle-stop tour of uh, everything the bill proposes to change about uh, local plan making. Uh, you've also had a quick look about what it has to say about changes to environmental assessment. Okay, so can you just tell us what, it, what, what, what it's proposing there? So the bill also proposes the scrapping of the environmental impacts assessment and the strategic environmental assessments. Both EU policies, they will be replaced by new environmental outcome reports, which will supposedly allow the government to set clear and tangible environmental outcomes, which a plan or project is assessed against. The accompanying policy paper states that this will allow the government, rather than Brussels, to set targets for environmental outcomes. Okay, well, many thanks for that, Sam. We're going to leave you here. And I'm just going to go over to another part of Room 106, where I see David Blackman. David. Ah, hello again, Richard. Now, you've been looking at the elements of the bill which examine the uh, system that is currently in place for collecting contributions from developers towards mitigating the uh, impacts of their schemes, so infrastructure, affordable housing, et cetera, et cetera. You've been having a look at how that might be changed under the bill. Yes, that's right, yeah. So tell us about the current system and tell us about how the the bill would change it. Yes, well, as um, most uh, 106 regulars will know, we currently have a system called a mixture of the community infrastructure levy and Section 106 agreements. Um, Section 106 agreements, of course, have been around for many years. The community infrastructure, or SIL for short, is a um, a much shorter-lived phenomenon. Um, it's been around since the 2008 Planning Act and is meant to provide a sort of more a more a regular way of collecting contributions from development. The big change which is coming here is the replacement of SIL with a new infrastructure levy, which the government describes as a... Uh, a simple, mandatory and locally determined infrastructure levy. Okay. And what do we know about how that levy would work? Well, um, probably the most important difference between the the current system is this will be mandatory on local authorities. So local authorities will be required to apply to set up an infrastructure levy. That's different from the current system where quite a lot of local authorities haven't even got round to setting up a sill. So the way the way it'll work is that it'll be charged on the property when it's sold and applied above a, a minimum threshold that hasn't been detailed yet. This is going to be a national one-size-fits-all levy. The levy rates and minimum thresholds will be set and collected locally. And local authorities will even be able to set different rates within their area. The basis of how it works is that it'll be set as a percentage of gross development value rather than based on floor space, which is the way it works with the SIL currently. Okay, so that's that's quite interesting. The the, um, 
that is going to be based on on value. There's, um, I think, a few people have already raised the um, the possibility that any uh, tax based on valuation immediately raises the scope for a whole load of argument about exactly what a uh, what a particular development is worth. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, that, that's going to be one of the big bones of contention. Am I right in thinking there are some parts of the country where SIL will remain and won't be abolished? Yes. So um, in London, SIL will will remain. And that's chiefly to that that's chiefly to enable the continuing operation of the of the crossrail sill, which of course has been very instrumental in in, in bringing forward and helping to finance the the crossrail project. And I believe also in Wales as well, sill will remain in place. And what about Section One Hundred Six? This doesn't get rid of it completely, as I understand it. Well, no, no. Despite some of the headlines which came out beforehand, which was that it was uh, designed to uh, get rid of the barristers' banquet, which or barristers' buffet, which um, some people would describe. Section 106 says Section 106 will continue to have a role within with it within the new system. Principally, this will be for big major schemes. Which, from reading the consultation paper, it looks like the infrastructure can continue to be financed lock, stock, and barrel from Section 106 agreements, uh, with the proviso that the infrastructure which is provided in kind by the developer will be no less than they would have provided in cash terms via the levy. But there'll also be a role, a continuing role for Section 106 that's for smaller schemes as well. So items of infrastructure which may be required to help deliver a project, like, for instance, a playground or something like that, that will continue to be offered by in-kind contributions through Section 106 agreements for even quite small schemes. Okay, okay. There is a good reason to think we can keep the title of the podcast for the foreseeable future. Yes, I think, uh, yes, uh, Section 106's death has been foretold many times, and it looks like this is not going to be the last time we're going to hear about it. Right, OK. So what do we know about how this um, these changes will be implemented? Well, first of all, we have the, um, it's, it's included in the bill, so the, um, the basic provisions of the infrastructure levy will go forward via primary legislation through Parliament. But um, there's a lot here which still has to be worked up. A lot of the details are still... Pretty, pretty vague, as we've proved so far in this in this in in this podcast. So there's a lot of work still to be done on the levy. For example, they're saying that effectively they're going to be running test and learn exercises, essentially pilots, to see how it works in certain areas. So that'll be the way it's introduced. That struck me as well, actually. I thought that was very interesting. You immediately thought when you heard that that process could go on for years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, they in in the document themselves they say this means it will be rolled out nationally over several years allowing for careful monitoring and evaluation. So we're looking at we're looking at quite a long-term introduction of this, I think. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it is very early days, but what responses have you seen from commentators about the potential implications of all this? Um, well, I think the, probably one of the chief concerns is concerning how the valuation process is going to be conducted. Of course, this is an area where valuation is a, that expertise tends to sort of rest within the private sector. It's not an area where local authorities have got a huge amount of expertise. Certainly not as much as the certainly much as exists within the private sector. So, I suppose there's a concern there that local authorities will be able to equip themselves to be able to conduct the kind of negotiations and and test the valuations which come forward from developers. It just sounds like a sort of there's the potential for all the arguments that have taken place in the past about viability to kind of be... Um... I think that's entirely bang on. I think it, you know, essentially you can see a, um, a shifting of the debates about valuation to arguments about gross development values. OK, well, thank you very much indeed for that, David. It's a pleasure.
and uh, we will see you back in room 106 before too long, I'm, I'm afraid to have to tell you. <laughs> um, but um, thank you very much indeed for that. Okay, well, I'm now going to head over to uh, another part of room 106 where I can see our senior reporter, Chris Caulfield. Chris, hi. Hi, Richard. Chris, now you've been looking at the development management aspects of the bill. Yes, some of them, yeah. The ones that stand out to me, I think, have been the the changes in the application fees as one of the one of the most significant ones. Um, but there's a, a fair few others in there that have uh, have caught the eye. Okay, well, start by telling us about the, the the changes to the application fees, and those are mentioned in one of the companion documents. Is that right? Yes. So the government uh, has confirmed that it intends to raise fees for major and minor planning applications by thirty five percent and twenty five percent, respectively, in an effort to boost council planning team resources. It's also saying that fees for retrospective applications uh, would also double and fines associated with certain planning breaches would be increased. And yeah, it, it wants to improve capacity in the local planning system subject to consultation, but it's saying that this increase in fees must lead to a better service for applicants. And there's also going to be an expansion of the existing planning performance framework uh, which is designed to measure how authorities perform across a range of quantitative and qualitative measures in order to, uh, in their words, boost performance and service quality in local planning. Uh, so to this end, the government said it would support local authorities build the skills they need, uh, with the first steps being to work with what it describes as sector experts to develop planning skills strategy for local authorities. But it's interesting that the... Um very welcome increase in fees that I think will be welcomed by everybody in the sector, not just, uh, well, certainly welcomed by the majority in the sector, maybe not everybody, whether they're consultants or local planning authorities. But um, it clearly sounds like there's going to be some strings attached in terms of these new performance targets. Well, I think I think if developers get a better service, they'll be happy. And if local authorities uh, get an increase in their funding uh, to deliver their planning services, they'll be happy. It's interesting what you said earlier, particularly about the uh, the new duty on decision makers to act in line with the development plan. I've seen suggestions in a couple of places that, you know, could this possibly be a way of sort of getting uh, through the back door something a bit more like the zoning proposal that was in the planning white paper and proved so unpopular. So they say they're stepping back from uh, from the idea of effectively granting a permission in principle when land is allocated in a local plan for a particular kind of development. But if you make any kind of deviation from the plan much harder to undertake, then could that be a sort of halfway house towards getting towards a system where the plan does effectively grant permission for uh, for, for schemes? Yeah, no, it's a good take. I wish it was my take. It's, it's somebody else's take, but it's a it's a, a potentially a um, interesting area to to explore. I think. Okay, Chris. Well, thank you very much indeed for covering some of the key development management aspects of the bill. And I'll say farewell for the moment, and we'll see you in room one hundred and six again soon. I'm sure. So before I go back to uh, greet John and uh, ask him to talk about how the government's planning to progress some of these elements in the uh, in the bill and its uh, accompanying papers. I'm just going to mention one or two other things which were covered in the bill and its accompanying documents, which I'm sure we'll be exploring uh, in, in coming weeks. One is there's a degree of sort of local government reorganisation which has been signalled, 
which uh, and the creation of uh, new sort of combined county authorities, which some have suggested could see uh, district powers being handed to counties without their consent of the districts. And this sort of new route for uh, for upper tier councils to combine could potentially have some significant implications for, for planning in the long term. Uh, there are also some very major changes to enforcement that have been touched on uh, elsewhere in this discussion. But basically, the government says it's aiming to prevent a whole series of loopholes that prevent planning enforcement from taking place and is, is going to try and close those loopholes. So that's going to be another major area, I think, of, of interest to uh, to authorities, some of whom recently seem to have been finding it harder and harder to actually enforce their their planning policies. And finally, there are some changes that are aimed at regeneration, um, promises that the compulsory purchase order system will be changed. And also, there are proposals in the bill to give planning authorities power to instigate auctions on the leases of uh, vacant high street properties so that these leases can be auctioned off to the, to the highest possible bidder and thereby uh, reinvigorate the high street. So I think all of those things we'll be probably looking at a bit more closely in uh, in, in future weeks. But I'm now going to turn to uh, our deputy editor, John Gagan, to talk us through how some of this stuff is going to be taken forward. So, John, would you be able to explain what the government says it's going to do next and all this? Yes. So in its policy paper, the government has said that broadly the changes to planning procedures will begin to take place from 2024 once the bill has royal assent and all the um, associated regulations and changes to national policy are in place. So a year and a half, two years down the line. Okay. Okay. So quite some wait. Am I right in saying they've signalled a whole series of different kind of policy making processes that they're gonna they're gonna now kick off? Yes, that's right. So in, in this in the policy paper they published alongside the bill, they set out a lot of details on this. So firstly, it revealed that the government intends to make a number of changes to the National Planning Policy Framework or MPPF to support the effective implementation of the bill, and it said it will, it will consult on all these changes. One of the most fundamental changes would be to refocus the MPPF on plan making. As Sam has said, the government intends to create a national development management policies document to guide decision making. And the policy document said this will be derived from the development management policies set out currently in the MPPF. And then goes on to say that the rest of the MPPF will be refocused on setting out the principles to be taken into account in plan making while also streamlining national policy making it more accessible and user-friendly. So in addition to this, the MPPF review is also going to look at whether the current tests on local plan soundness at examination are sufficiently proportionate. It would take account of the government's intention to remove the requirement for councils to maintain a five-year supply of deliverable housing sites where their plan is up to date. Obviously, that was a pretty major announcement that came out from the bill. It will change the MPPF to improve environmental outcomes and protect our historic environment, including changes to make sure that the environment tax reforms are embedded fully in plan making and decisions, particularly the new duty for biodiversity net gain and the preparation of local nature recovery strategies. 
It goes on to say that the government wants to make sure that national policies support planning's role in mitigating, adapting to climate change. And that's something they've previously announced. And they address all the planning commitments in the recently published British Energy Security Strategy, which um, came out last month. It also says that existing greenbelt protections will remain, but the government will pursue options to make the greenbelt even greener. And then finally, it says the MPPF review will set out our position on planning for housing and seek views on this. So what sounds like a hugely wide ranging review of the MPPF, I was quite interested to see there's somewhere in the in all the paperwork, I think they express an ambition to make the MPPF even smaller than it is at the moment. And of course, the MPPF, when it first came out, was considered a huge achievement in terms of sort of reducing the scale of policy to a, a single overarching document of, I think, when it first came out, about sort of 50 pages or something like that. So it would be a, a major achievement if they managed to reduce it in size significantly again. I guess they're thinking that if they take the development management policies out, that might make it uh, feasible. Yes, exactly. I think that's removing those. And also the intention is to make sure the local plans don't replicate them as well. So um, it's all, it helps that objective of simplifying plan making and speeding us up. Yeah, taking some of the paperwork out of Room 106. Yeah, exactly. So we'll all be happy with that. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so there's the MPPF element, but there's a whole load of other stuff as well. Yes, that's right. So the policy paper says that the government intends to consult on details of the new infrastructure levy and changes to compulsory purchase rules, which um, we've already discussed. It will also consult on the new changes to environmental assessments and this new system of environmental outcomes reports. There'll be a technical consultation on the quality standards that nationally significant infrastructure projects will be required to meet to be considered for fast track consenting. And this was something that was um, proposed in last month's energy security strategy. And it will also consult on other changes to the NSIP regime. And then finally, it will consult on proposals for changes to planning fees, which Chris has talked about. So beyond the bill, which our readers are no doubt still busily digesting, there's lots more proposed changes to the planning system in the pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, interesting that you um, you highlight the one about um, a sort of fast track for certain nationally significant infrastructure projects that meet certain criteria. I think that's probably a very major and important change, which hasn't quite had the attention that, that some of the other elements of the bill have had, partly because it was signalled a couple of weeks before in the Energy Security Bill. Yes, that's right. Fantastic. OK, well, thanks very much for pointing us towards what's coming up as far as the implementation of all this is concerned, John. Now, I think um, Room 106 listeners would be disappointed if we didn't, despite this being a different format, this edition, if we didn't have your quirky story of the week. Well, my quirky story of the week this week is about Jeremy Clarkson being rather rude about planning officers following his latest uh, development management woes. So last week, it was reported that the former Top Gear presenter, had referred to people in planning departments as um, not terribly bright people in a discussion about the um, improvements to his new Oxfordshire farm. According to the report, Clarkson complained that he simply can't get planning permission for his various development proposals. 
And he said local planning officers are influenced by people in the village who wear red trousers. And by that, he seems to be referring to the kind of objectors to um, the proposal that he's put forward. And our readers will probably be aware that there's various schemes recently that he's had permission refused for, including extension to his diddly squat farm shop and an application to convert a lambing shed into a cafe and car park, which was also refused at the start of the year. So it seems the um, the latest refusal was the straw that broke the, um, the camel's back. Okay, well, um, thanks very much, John. He's he's obviously presenting what he's uh, doing as as championing the interests of a sort of downtrodden agricultural community, but um, I suspect the local officers and certainly the local objectors will think that it's merely the the disappointment of a uh, of an individual landowner who's who's wanting to maximise the value of his property, but. Um, Anyway, we'll see how that all develops. Yeah, one to watch. Okay, well, thank you very much, John. I think our work is done. Let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. Fantastic. That's another fortnight summarised. Yes, we'll be back in two weeks to give you another update on the key things happening in the sector. Our thanks to producers Aidan Lyons and Daisy Chaku from Rethink. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis, specialist bulletins and our quarterly print magazine, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.